You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Jesus is alive. Amen. Man, I'm so, uh, so, so honored and thankful just to get to be here. My name is Cody Sykes. I'm the campus pastor of New Life Church Midland. And just, uh, just an announcement, you don't have to be tall, dark, and handsome to be a pastor on this staff. We have two of those. You can be short and studly. So for all the short guys out there that aspire to be pastors, let me be a testimony to you. <laughs> No, we, uh, we love to have fun at Renew Life Church. This is a fun church, and God is alive in this church. It's so much fun. Uh, I'm just really encouraged by the life that's in this room. Uh, I just wanted to pray for you really quick. Could I do that? Father, I pray that you would increase. I pray that you would increase, that you would impart more of this tangible electricity that's in this room that's coming to these people. I pray, Father, that there's just a great outpouring of your presence on their lives, and their finances, on their children, and their health of their homes. I think that you're doing things, you're aligning things that they have prayed for for years and years and years. They're coming to pass in this season. I thank you, Father, that that, that is no coincidence of what is taking place in the city to the people in this room. And I just pray, Father, for courage and strength to continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus like they're being. I just release this. I bless them with this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So much fun. I'm excited just to share the word today. I, I, I believe that uh, you know, God has been speaking specifically to me uh, for some time. It's, it's interesting, the last few times that I've preached, uh, the word that I've gotten has come through a vision or a dream. And so I, I believe that God is on visions and God is in dreams. I also believe that God is, is ramping up our ability to communicate uh, in our dialogue with him in the season. I believe that there's a supernatural uh, grace on us in this season uh, to, to hear and to see and to walk in the revelation of Jesus through visions and dreams. Uh, do I have any dreamers in the room or people that just have visions? Uh, if you don't and you want them, just say, Jesus, I receive visions and dreams. I just believe that he's increasing this because God wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to us for our sake. He wants to speak to us uh, for the people around us. And so I just believe that God is increasing this. And a few weeks ago, uh, this message kind of came to me uh, through a vision. I was driving home. We go to the lake every year with my wife's family. It's something that we do every single summer. And uh, I'd been on the lake for a week, which is, which is also God. I don't know if you know that or not, especially if you're from West Texas. It's like going to paradise when you get to go to a lake. Uh, sometimes I feel like we live in Egypt and we get to go to paradise. Sometimes we get to go to the lake. And just get me around a body of water and I'm gonna be happy. Uh, but anyways, we get on the road to drive home. Within the first five minutes, I'm driving, I can see the road. My eyes are open. I have my family in the car, so my eyes aren't closed. I'm not having a, a closed eye vision. And I, I'm driving and, I, and while I'm driving, I'm seeing something, a completely different scene as my eyes are open. And so I believe that God starts speaking to me in this moment, but what I see is, I see a body of water, and I see this body of water from two different perspectives. And sometimes God will speak to us uh, based on uh, the thing that we've kind of been partaking in the most recent. You know, like when my wife has a dream at night and she wakes up and she's mad at me, I'm like, did you watch Dateline the night before or what? <laughs> it's kind of like that. 
But I'm driving down the road and I see this vision of this body of water and, and I see it from two perspectives. The first perspective that I see this body of water from is from a side view, like I'm looking at this water from the side. As, and, and I could see these waves crashing. This water was not calm. This water was not still. And then I instantly saw the same body of water, but I saw it from a position that was overhead. And the overhead view and the overhead perspective of the same body of water, all I could see was ripple effects. And the Lord instantly started speaking to me. And he said, Cody, you can choose to look at your situations or you can choose to look at the storms that you're going through in life from two perspectives. You can choose to look at it from the earthly perspective that is that side perspective that says that the things that, that are coming against you are literally causing you to be so unstable and your life is a wreck. Or you can choose to look at it from a heavenly perspective and see that the rain that is coming down or the storm that is that's coming in your life is actually causing a ripple effect and it's affecting the people that are around you. You ever notice how when there's a... a, a sprinkles start happening and, and there's a puddle of water or there's a lake, the first few water drops, the first few raindrops that hit that, they cause this ripple effect. Before you know it, all of the water that is around that one spot is being affected by the storm that is coming. And so in our life, we can have two different perspectives. We can have an earthly perspective and the earthly perspective says, why is this happening to me? We constantly stay in this place of a victim where it's like God's not doing anything for me because everything is happening to me. Or in the same moment, we could have a heavenly perspective that says, I'm going to go through what I'm going through in faith because I know that God is for me and he's not against me. And if God is for me, then who could be against me, right? And so in this moment, we have this opportunity every time that we encounter a storm to have these two different perspectives. And I believe that our effectiveness in ministry is a direct response of the perspective that we have in life. Did you know that you're called to ministry? Like, oh shoot. Now every one of us have a ministry and we're gonna dive into some scripture in just a moment and I'm gonna talk about what this ministry is, but I believe that as we choose to take on a heavenly faith-filled perspective about the things that are going on in our life, as we choose to see uh, in the middle of a storm that there's actually a, a fourth person in the fire with us, so to speak, and is, and is, is Jesus, that we're not fixing to turn to ash in any moment, the things around us and our lives and the people's lives around us, they'll start to shift. I don't know if you know this, but everything that you go through in your life and the life that you live isn't just for you, it's for the people around you. There's a testimony on the inside of every single one of us. And the moment that that testimony is released in the power of God, it actually starts producing things in the lives of the people around us that it's supposed to produce. I believe that when we have a testimony, I believe that Jesus imparts testimonies to people that he can entrust to share them. He's like, well, I've got a lot of testimony. It's probably because Jesus trusts that eventually when you open your mouth, that it'll, sh it'll start shaking the lives of the people around you. So if you have a testimony, I'm gonna encourage you, begin to open your mouth and release it. Scripture says in Revelation chapter 19 that the, 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 the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, meaning that when I release a testimony of anything that Jesus has done in my life and you hear it, you should actually begin to believe in that moment that Jesus would do the same thing for you. That's what that means. So if you have a testimony or if you have a story, so to speak, if you've been through something, begin to release that and watch it produce the thing that it produced for you in the lives of the people around you. That's why we're living this Christian life. It's not for us, it's for the people around us. So I want to pray, and then we're going to dive into some scripture. Father, I thank you.
yeah, we just calm ourselves right now. We choose right now to look at you, Jesus. I pray that our hearts are open, that our ears are open, that our eyes are open to hear and to see you, to receive from you in a way that we never have before. I pray that there are things imparted to us through the Spirit of God uh, that change our lives and the lives of the people around us. God, I pray that in the next few moments, anything that I speak and anything that I say that isn't of you, I pray that it would fall flat. But everything that comes from you, God, I pray that it would produce a harvest in our lives. Yeah, I just, I surrender myself to you, Jesus. We surrender ourselves to you in this moment. God, I thank you that you're taking us up, you're calling us up, and you have more for us. We pray these things and we, we receive them in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, would you just go with me to, uh, we're going to go into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I believe the scriptures are going to be up here if you don't have your Bible. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. So talking about this idea that we all have a ministry, we're going to go ahead and read. It says, we are, this is Paul speaking. He said, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but are giving you an, uh, an occasion to be rightfully proud of us so that you will have an answer to those who take pride in outward appearance, the virtues they pretend to have, rather than what is actually in the heart. If we are out of our mind, just unstable fanatics, as critics say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for your benefit. For the love of Christ controls and compels us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died, it's Jesus, for all. So that all who live will no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for their sake. So from now, so from now on, we regard no one from a human perspective or a human point of view, according to worldly standards or values, that we have known Christ from a human point of view. Now, we no longer know him this way. Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he is a new creature, Reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition, they have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. But all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, making us acceptable to him and gives us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to him. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting sin, people's sins against them, but canceling them. And he committed us to this message of reconciliation, and that is restoration to favor with God. So we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. We as Christ representatives plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God, that is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by, the gracious, by his gracious loving kindness. So verse 18 says plainly, it states our ministry as believers. It plainly says, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to him. So the ministry of reconciliation, this ministry of, of reconciling people, it's a constant pointing of, of people to the Father. That's what we're designed to do. Everything that you do in your life, it's designed and it comes to you so that you might point people to the Father. This is a reconciliation to the Father, not reconciling them to yourself. 
I, I understand that sometimes in our zeal and sometimes in our passion, we start bringing people and pointing people to us and we start drawing people to us. It's fine that you draw people to you, but when you draw them to you, you have to point them to the Father because God doesn't share his glory with anyone. He's the jealous God. And so when someone is drawn to you, that's fantastic. Just make sure that you're pointing them to someone that actually sustained their life. That's Jesus. He shares his glory with no one. The ministry of reconciliation is also the message or the ministry of grace. Notice that it says that he doesn't hold their sin against them. In verse 18, it says, but all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So notice this. First, there's something that has to, that has to happen. It has to take place in our life because we're leading by example. The moment that I understand that, that God sent Jesus to reconcile me to God through Jesus, that is the moment that I receive and understand the ministry of grace, the message of grace, what Jesus came to do for me. It says that, that he's not counting people's sins against them, but he's canceling them. See, I have to understand that, that the Father doesn't look at me through this lens of my sin, but he looks at me through this lens of Jesus because he reconciled me through Jesus back to him. We have to understand that that's our starting place. I can't give something away that I don't have. I can't give grace to someone if I don't understand the grace of God in my own life. I can't, I can't point someone to Jesus if I constantly am blinded by my own sin. So we have to get to this place where we understand that Jesus actually was the one that reconciled me to God, and it was God's plan the whole time. See, lots of times I think that, especially in, in, in our world where there's so much evil that takes place around us, I could, I could literally ask for, for a few examples, and we could sit here and rattle off all the things that we see around us. And it's really easy that as Christians and as people that, that have and understand a holy way of living, that we could actually get into this, this habit of calling people's sins out. But can I tell you, people don't need you to tell them what's wrong with them, they already know. I can't, I can't stand up here and tell you something that's already wrong with you because you already know. I live in my body just like you live in your body. I live with this mind just like you live with your mind. But what, what God, I believe, is asking us to do is stop prophesying people's problems and start pressing into him for their answer. Because we have the answer. I don't know if you know that. Because Jesus lives on the inside of us, I carry the answer to your problem. That's why you need me, and that's why I need you. We have to move from this place of, of, of constantly calling out people's sin and move into this place of releasing love that is the Father, and they'll be reconciled to him, the one who is able to sustain their life, like I said. That's this, that's this thing. If if you're, if you're one of those people that, that can see and perceive someone's issue or see or perceive someone's sin, fantastic. Then you could probably also press in deeper to God and he'd give you their answer too. Like don't just stop at someone's sin because you feel like you have the upper hand in the moment. Press into God a little further and see if he'll give you the answer for their situation. God might show you more. So when we open our mouths, the answer should flow out. That answer is love. It's the Father. Our job and our ministry is to constantly point people back to God, not to sin, not to their shortcomings, but to the Father. That's our, that's our only job. If you if you've felt pressure to do anything else, 
I'm relieving you of the pressure right now. Point them to Jesus. Point them to the Father. You don't have to help. You don't have to figure out their sin. You don't have to figure out how they're going to get out of their sin. Point them to the Father. I'm going to share a story in just a moment that, that is, is such a testimony of just exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, I understand that when we're confronted with sin, you should speak the truth. We do that. We have to speak the truth in love, as it says in Ephesians. It's not just enough for me to say the truth. If I don't wrap or I don't clothe the truth, then instantly what happens is I'm, I'm representing a God to someone that is skewed. I can't afford to rep, misrepresent God because God is people's only hope. We can't afford to continue to mess, misrepresent God because what's happened, I believe, is that, that people, I think this is what Gandhi said, he said that people have met the, the, the Christians of the Christ and they've rejected him. We've got to change our perspective. We've got to change the way that we talk. We've got to change the way that we believe about people because if we don't, they'll start getting a perspective of the Father that we've given them permission to build. We've got to start representing Jesus a little better than we are. It's okay. We can do it. We're going to be fine. You're thinking like, well, what if I don't hold them to, to the fire because of their sin? Like, am I, am I enabling their behavior? If I hold them to their sin, now I'm standing between them and, and God. They'll view God the way that I, they view me, as a hypocrite, or maybe even a bigot. They'll believe that God views them the way that I view them, as someone that is something wrong. Our heart has to constantly be to reconcile people to the Father. Uh, several months ago, back in October, we were getting ready to launch our, our new campus, our new building, on a Thursday night, we had a grand opening on a Thursday night. It was an, it was an amazing service. But as, as the day is, is progressing, we're trying to get things gone, done. It's kind of like ants on a mound. Like there's people all over the place. And uh, I'm in the sound booth and, and all of a sudden this girl walks in. And I, had, I didn't know who this person was. And we start this conversation and she, she worked for a marketing agency in town. She worked for many uh, uh, radio stations in town. And so we just started having this conversation. She's like, what is going on here? What is this? I start telling her that this is a church. This is, we're fixing to launch this new church building, all these things. And I'm like, we would love to have you. And she goes, um, yeah, um, that'd, be, that'd be nice, but my lifestyle is really not one that's celebrated by the church. I said, oh, okay, well, can you, can you expand? Can you tell me what's going on? It's like, well, I'm married to a woman. And so in this moment, I'm confronted, like every other believer would be confronted. What do I say? Do I have a backbone? Do I lay down? And so plainly, I just said, well, biblically and morally, I don't agree with your, with your relationship, but I'd love to have you. And I guarantee you, if you came to this church, you wouldn't feel out of place. So the conversation ends, it was a sweet conversation, Fast forward to about three or four months after that and I have this message in my email box and, and it's someone that's looking for relationship counseling. Well, I totally blank on the name. I'm not good with names. The Lord's helping me with that. And I don't realize who this person is that I'm meeting with until she's sitting on a couch across me in, in our meeting room. And she begins to talk and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the person. I know her story. And instantly I was like, okay, wait. I'm, I'm rewinding and she's talking in my mind. I'm like, she knows my position on her marriage, yet she still came. What's going on with this? So we start having these conversations over and over. 
And we meet for probably, I bet we met eight to 10 times over the course of two or three months. Uh, This person has been baptized now. This person has served her spouse with divorce papers and has said that she doesn't think she would ever be uh, sexually attracted to a woman again. I didn't ever try to convict her of her sin because that's not my job. That's not our job. If I step into the place of convicting someone of their sin, I'm stepping into the ministry of the Holy Spirit and I can't bear that weight. Neither can you. What we do is we constantly make room for them because there's a lot of churches that they would say, actually what you need to do is you need to go get yourself fixed before you come in here. Once you're fixed, then you can come and then we would enjoy having you. That's not what the church should even be about. If that is our position, we should just go ahead and close our doors. Jesus never told any of us, go take care of your sin, then come. He said, I took care of your sin. I was one who knew no sin and became sin for you. How dare us as the church to have the same perspective that's a perspective that says, go get yourself before you can come. If they can't come to us, where are they going to go? I get it. There's some situations, there's some sins, there's some things that we're like, that's untouchable. They're not untouchable if we'll just point them to the Father. They're untouchable if I try to become God for them and convict them of their sin. I can't do it. There's nothing that is too big for our God. I love this girl's story because it is literally, it is the story of being reconciled to the Father. This is the ministry that Jesus has given us. We can't, uh, we can't afford to hold people accountable or hostage to their previous conditions. It's got to stop in some way, shape, or form. We've got to move on. Jesus has canceled sin that we're still trying to hold people accountable for. We're actually playing on the wrong team. I know this is kind of heavy, but I'm just trying to encourage you in this place of there's something on the inside of you that if you change your perspective, if you stop looking at your situation and other people's situation from an earthly point of view and you shift your perspective from a heavenly perspective with faith behind it, you'll start leading your own life and leading other people into a place where they might hear God for the first time. So there's this thing that has to happen I started talking about our, our, our story. I started talking about the storms that we go through. There's something happens when I allow my story to be married with the word of God. When I allow my story to, be, uh, to come into communion or come into relationship with the power of Jesus. Because now I have, I'm stepping into a new authority. Now I can actually, because I've been through something, I've, I've lived through something, I've conquered something, but I've submitted it to Jesus, I'm releasing it to Jesus. Now when people come to me and now when people come to us, they're actually met with an authority. That, that the sin that is on the inside of them, it responds to the presence of God that is in us, not the presence of us that's in us. That's where we have to move into. I get it, what you're probably thinking is like, okay, this is... This is bizarre. This is a crazy way of thinking. You're telling me to, to not hold people's sin against them. You're telling me to, to, to not call people to this higher standard. I am. I'm just telling you to do it in a place of love. It's like, well, this just sounds counterintuitive. This sounds illogical. To, to live from a perspective of heaven, of heaven's realities invading your life, it takes you living outside of your mind. 
It takes you living from a place that is faith. And I believe that that's what faith is. Faith doesn't make sense. Faith is a heavenly perspective. You think about Paul and Silas, and even in this scripture, how Paul's talking about, if I'm, in, if I'm out of my mind, it's for Christ, but if I'm in my mind for you. I start thinking about Paul and Silas when they're in prison. This, this ministry of reconciliation, it moves us into this place of, of taking on a mindset that, that is countercultural. It's, it's, it's kind of even opposite of the way that the earth thinks, so the way that the world thinks. Paul and Silas, we know this story, and I think it's in Acts chapter 16 that you can find it, but literally there's this demon-possessed girl that's followed them for days upon days upon days. She was actually a fortune teller, and, and day upon day she would walk behind them and say the same thing over and over and over and again. And it says that basically Paul just finally gets frustrated with her and he casts out this demon. And as he casts out this demon, her, her keepers or the people that she's making money for, they're mad. So they bring Paul and they bring Silas in front of the magistrates and they literally get thrown into jail. Into jail. They, they strip them of their clothes, they beat them and they throw them into jail. You could say that in this moment, Paul and Silas it would be okay for them to see their situation from an earthly perspective. To maybe sit down in that jail cell, cry a little bit, wallow around a little bit in their sorrow, maybe lick their wounds because they're bleeding and they're hurting, like, it would be okay. But that's not exactly what happens. In verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. This is what it looks like to have a heavenly perspective. They're thinking and they know that if I choose to have a different perspective that is faith, it'll start shaking things around me. And it does. Since it suddenly there's a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison are shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out, called out with a loud voice, do yourself no harm, we're all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night and washed their stripes and immediately him and his family were all baptized. And when he had brought them into his house, he sent food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. Do you see what happened when they got out of their mind and they choose this heavenly perspective? A whole family is reconciled to God. A man's literally about to kill himself, and they say, whoa, whoa, wait. Don't do that. I love the fact that this happens. The guy's asleep, and he doesn't even know what happened. He instantly, his, his first response when he was around people that have a heavenly perspective was say, what do I do to get that? He's asleep. He didn't hear them singing, didn't hear them praying, just wakes up to chaos and says, what do I do to get what you have? See, that's what taking a heavenly perspective does in the people's lives around us. They see the joy, they see the faith that we live by, and they say, I want that. There's something different about them. I want that thing. In just a moment, his family's life has changed. They're saved and they're baptized because two people decided that in the midst of a storm, they're gonna take the position of faith. They're like, okay, that's a great story. It's in the Bible. There's a lot of crazy, great stories in the Bible. What, what about today? There's a man that comes to our church in Midland. He's from Ethiopia. 
And uh, this, this guy understands what persecution is like. He got saved at the age of 13 and instantly fell into persecution. It was from his parents. He got grounded for two years because he got saved. That was just the beginning of it. In Ethiopia, uh, as he got a little older, the government changed and it turned into the Islamic State. And so basically the Islamic soldiers that worked for the government were burning Bibles, anything that was, anything that was Jesus, anything that represented God, the Father, anything that was preaching Jesus, they were destroying it. And so this man that, that comes to our church, he would hide in the reeds on the riverbanks and he'd baptize people. He'd lead them to Jesus and he'd baptize them. And he knew that it was a risk. And he knew that, that it was, he was literally constantly living outside of his mind. One day he's baptizing some people and he gets caught. They all get caught. There's four guys and him. The Islamic soldiers get him out of the water. And, and one by one, they go to these guys and, and they're telling them, denounce Jesus or you'll die. These guys have been saved for like a month and a half. They don't have the years that we have. They don't have the time. They don't have the understanding maybe that you have in this room. They don't have the revelation maybe that you have in this room, but they would not give up on Jesus in this moment. And one by one, our friend watched these guys get shot. And it was his turn. Instead of shooting him and getting it over with fast, they figured that they would take the leader and they'd torture him. So they take him, they hang him upside down. They begin to pour boiling water all over his feet. This is a real life situation. And they're constantly, they're torturing him, they're beating him, pouring boiling water over him, trying to get him to crack, trying to get him to move off of this, of this man named Jesus. And he, in this moment, he explained to me, he goes, I just... In the excruciating pain that was so hard to handle, I just began to pray, God, either save me or send me home. And he said, and in this moment, all of a sudden, the presence of God came over him as he's hanging upside down. His feet are blistered. This has gone on for hours. And he said, I erupt in just this, this unbelievable joy. I start laughing uncontrollably. It scares them so much that they get me, they untie me. They think that I'm demon-possessed. They're afraid. And he said, and I got to lead all of them to Jesus. This is the ministry of reconciliation. The whole time his heart is for people. Most of us in this moment would, would want to change places with it. We'd want to tie them up and we'd want to return the favor. I just believe that God is constantly wanting to call us into a place of pointing people to him, even the people that we don't think deserve it. But it takes us having a heart for people, having a heart for God, but choosing to live outside of our mind and seeing our situation from a heavenly perspective and saying, there's something in me that I've gone through that could be used to help you and your life. This is where God is calling us. This is where God wants to take us. This is what happens as, as we step into this. I believe that our city is, is transformed. Our nation is transformed. The world is transformed into the image of God. We're reconciling people 
back to the Father. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.